You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. And this week, we are talking about the market. I recognize over the last year or two, this podcast has become more sophisticated in a way, talking about deeper topics that may be relevant to some people, may not be as relevant, might just be me on a crusade on a soapbox trying to fix problems in our industry. But I had a bit of a reflection, especially after the Q&A session that seemed to do really well a few weeks ago. We got some great feedback from it that, hey, this needs to remain being a podcast for everyone that's listening and uh, most topical in the moment. What people really want to know about, I understand, is what is going on in this market? How can I make a dollar in this market? Where are the opportunities? Where am I going to struggle? And give us some anecdotes, some insider information if you can. I think that's the core of what this podcast has always been about. I'm going to try and realign our episodes to fit in with that a bit more these days as we've spent, as I said, quite a bit of time on an absolute raid on the policy side. Let's get back to the market and the perfect person to have a conversation about the market with right now is the guy whose team sells more properties than nearly anyone in Western Australia. It is Rash Danjal from the agency. Rash, how you going, mate? Good, mate. Thank you for the invite. I think the first thing we should be referencing right now, which I'm sure you're going to give us some anecdotes that relate to this on, is that last week, Rewa reported the largest weekly transaction number in over two years. 1,167 properties were sold last week, Rash Danjal. What is going on? It's just buyer demand. There's a lot more buyers than properties we can supply to the market. Obviously, as agents, our job is to bring properties to the market. So... Look, there's a lot more buyers than you can imagine. And uh, a lot of the strata style properties are getting absorbed out of the market as well. Stuff that otherwise was sitting on the wayside, wasn't it? Yeah, stuff that, uh, you know, has uh, strata fees and people were like, oh, look, I'm not willing to buy that because of the strata fees. And now going, look, I just need a home. I just need a property. I just need somewhere to stay. I'm, I'm sick of couch surfing. I'm sick of uh, living with uh, friends and family. I just need to buy a property. And if it has strata fees, uh, then that's what, what it'll be. You know. So yeah, it's kind of a sad situation out there. Think for buyers. It's getting a bit desperate, isn't it? Have you noticed that the tone has changed from a, nearly an opportunistic, cool thing to do that's in vogue right now to buy a property to sort of swing in the last few months to that real desperation of, like, I just need a roof over my head, dude. Yeah, there's a lot of upset buyers and they're also getting upset due to lack of communication from the agents as well. And it's difficult for the agents as well because when you're dealing with uh, 50, 60 groups on a Sunday or on a weekend to go out and talk to everyone and figure them out and... and give them a the time of day that they Give the deserve. time of the day. It's not easy, you know. So mm. to give you an example, we had a Bennett Springs property that came to market, uh, you know, ideally a perfect home for a family. We had about 50 groups come through it. The weekend was spent literally trying to speak to everyone, SMSs, back and forth, just so that everyone felt that they got a fair opportunity to negotiate on the property. Otherwise, you do get a lot of upset people that are mm. just going to sleep over it, but the market's not sleeping. Whoever wants the property is being aggressive. It is easy to, for someone to point the finger at an agent these days and say, you're just being inflationary. You're just being sensationalists telling us that you have to put an offer in today. Of course, you would say that as an agent, right? But that's sort of the best advice that you can give someone right now, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm I'm often saying, look, things are moving fast. If you don't do anything about it, then you may miss out. And 
ideally jump in there and put your best foot forward. But it's sad because they also need to think about it. You know, there's a big decision. It's a huge well. life decision. It's yeah. probably the biggest investment they're ever going to make. How yeah. can they make this decision in the space of three or four hours knowing that there are 20 other versions of them that are 1% more desperate from having waited another couple of months longer than they have is the only way really to be absolutely set. You know, do your research for a couple of months, go for it, but then be absolutely set on the location, the property type, what you can afford, have your pre-approval, get everything ready, and then just go, bang, I'm just going to have to offer it. Is, is that the behavior you're seeing right now that is the only successful behavior below... $700,000? That's a problem as well because they predominantly only spend 15 minutes in a home mm. and then buy it and then aggressively have to negotiate to the best offer. I just don't like buying like that myself personally. Well, you wouldn't want to, but it seems like especially around and below the median house price, that is one of the only strategies right now unless you've got a real estate agent in your pocket, you've got a great relationship with them or you're a buyer's agent and you've got those relationships that way. The real estate agent part as well, it's difficult because at the end of the day, you're working for the seller. You might have a relationship, but ultimately you want to get the best price for the seller. So the more buyers you have, the better off you are, but people need to compete. In this market, even sellers are not taking good offers. Why would you though? If you're in, in this market, you recognize that most people probably don't have to sell right now. There's probably some people who are feeling the pinch of interest rates and incentivized to sell or less incentivized to hold as they were before. As landlords, especially, they finally see a way out that gives them a bit of profit after holding a property in Perth for 10 to 15 years that they haven't seen pre-COVID or even in the last up until a year ago, maybe for a lot of these properties. You would expect to start seeing some people in the sales space be more incentivized. But what I would suggest as a seller, and this probably makes your job a little bit harder, Ash, is you shouldn't be taking the first offer or the second or the third. Uh, at the end of the day, as a seller, you probably know, especially if you're under, I'd say, $700,000, you're going to have a number of people approaching you in those desperate situations. This is a free capitalist market. You are not obliged to sell until you are absolutely satisfied that you've squeezed every dollar out of this market. Is that not right? That's right. Uh, we had one incident recently, and in fact, today has just gone under contract. Seller property owes him 450 and that's what it cost him in Beldivis to home and land package it. Mm. Probably yeah. went down to 360 in 2018. They went down to 360 No one was touching these properties. By the way, it's only a three-bedroom, not even a four-bedroom. Came to us and said, look, I need you to sell this property. Circumstances have changed. If you can get me half a million on the dot, we'll sell it. We went off to do our work. Uh, it's got a tenant in place, doesn't want to take it to market. Find him an offer, half a million. Turns around and says, oh, I don't want half a million. I want mid-fives now. You know, suddenly he changes his mind, says, no, actually, I want more out of this market because it's moving. And if you bring me mid-fives, then if I can net 100 grand from what, I, what it costs me, then we'll do the deal. And this morning, we've just done the deal. I like to say it's surprising, but it's not. But it, it's Baldivis, man, for a three-bedroom house and land package that has obviously seen a 60% increase in what's about four years' time. You know, this is one of the lowest amenity suburbs in Western Australia, and that's where we're seeing some of the most volatile growth. It's only affordability that's allowing that to happen, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you remember there was a lot of mortgage stress down there. Mm. There was a lot of families that... The mortgage stress capital of Australia at some point. Yeah, no one was touching these properties. In fact, we sold one back then for 430000 was 250 square meters of uh, living. 
and over 650 in land at that 430,000 first home buyer grant range. And I think about it now and I was, uh, we also didn't see value in that 430 back then. It was a different time. You would now with the construction costs, wouldn't you? For a house that big, not to mention the land size, even though the land value really hasn't risen much in that area, but it's replacement costs that's pushing these properties up because you can't build them for that price again. And if you had to go and start again, you'd probably be at least 550 to do it again, but you want to wait two years maybe to see that happen. After COVID, my method for uh, appraising properties changed because we needed to start looking at replacement value of the building. And as the building industry is going through what it's going through, the cost of buildings gone up so high, that actual building is worth a lot more money in today's market. So rather than just looking at comparable six months ago, you have to do other ways of looking at it, looking at what depreciation of that building is and figure out where that number sits because that's where you will be able to get the best out of the market. That's the inflection point for when new supply can come on, that replacement cost. And I've spoken about that at length numerous times on this podcast before, giving the example of Caratha and, and how that sits as well. I guess we can segue then into the amount of properties available because we're referencing the fact that there's so much demand. So much demand is fine if there is also abundance of supply. But this is the real kicker here. And this is where we're going to see it really start to choke West Australians in this market and make your job even harder. Did you know, Rash, that in the same week that we had the largest numbers of transactions in Perth as recorded by Rewa over the last couple of years, we've also dipped down to the lowest supply number in Western Australia in, in this century, 4,852 properties. Christmas last year, it was 8,000. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's hard to fathom. And I remember Christmas last year, coming out of Christmas in the new year, Supply was really low and the market started picking up. Naively, I was thinking, oh, Feb will come around, we'll get a lot more supply back in the market. And then we saw it dip under 8,000, 7,000, and now under 5,000. This is predominantly the issue. There's not enough supply and there's not enough supply coming into the market as well. And the population of Perth is increasing. There's a lot more interstate and overseas migration. We've got students coming in. We just don't have supply in the rental market or the sale market. And we don't have enough new bills coming out of the ground as well. So it's a big issue. I want to bring us all back, yourself, myself and the listeners, to a time about 20 years ago. In that time, Perth hadn't seen growth for quite a while previously in the early 2000s, even the 90s. It was deemed the biggest boom of our generation with the mining boom obviously happening, which was, that was the story. The mining boom was the story from, you know, 2004 all the way through to 2013. But if you look at the property market and the data at that point in time, what we saw was a doubling of values essentially between 2003 and 2007. Seven, six, yep. And concurrently at the same time, which will confuse people in a way, but is a reflection of the market, a cash rate that arose to over 7% at the time. And we're at 4.35 now after the latest cash rate rise with a perception that there may be a little bit more in rises to come. The similarities, Rash, in that market in terms of the amount of people coming into the state a lack of ability to supply a tight rental market with our market, which is actually far more chronic in every single one of those data points, like exceptionally more chronic, way more demand, way less supply, ridiculously low rental data compared to these guys. They were at about two and a bit percent back then. We're at 0.6% rental vacancy, right? And then we still have a cash rate of 4.35%, right? Not going up to seven. I look at the data and it's really hard to sit here in this seat and not see 
material, significant price growth that we can't fathom because we've never seen it before, that we've had our nuts kicked for years in Perth since 2016, really. But I don't see any other way out of this other than material increases. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in price increase for a lot of properties. <laughs> I know that sounds inflationary, but I can't see another way out, Rash. This is why the sophisticated investors of East are running to Perth, because there is an opportunity for upside. And look, 2005, six people were camping out outside of brand new estates to grab land, if you remember. Yeah, they, it uh, seems like a, a fable from times gone by. I wonder if we'll ever see that again. It all depends on the propensity for uh, buyers to now go into the building cycle. And that's what we haven't seen yet, because the different journey, I guess, that the buyers 20 years ago had to that now is that 20 years ago they weren't burnt by a building industry that had essentially collapsed in on itself and the building industry was the solution it's obviously got its sexy marketing the house and land package space was ready to go this situation is different the builders nearly don't want the work the land developers can't get the land out of the ground because of planning policy and civil issues and those sort of things and just a lack of developable land around Perth in the first place the industry is so much smaller than it was 20 years ago, which is hard mm-hmm. to imagine. BGC is not around spruiking on every corner for a new brand of a new house like they were back then. However, at the same time, I also am seeing the green shoots like I did five years ago in December 2018 when this podcast started of a resurgence in the land space. Back then, it was a resurgence in the house, in the owner occupied established house space. Now, I'm seriously seeing through testing the market ourselves with some infill land development we're doing, some real green shoots. And it's the East Coast investors that have gone first again, but I'm seeing the locals come in as well. Are you seeing that? 100%. In the last two months, I've sold more land than I did in two years. That's a reality. I'm not surprised because I'm asking questions like, why are you building and were you looking at established before? And 90% of them were in the market, have said, this is just too hard to compete and pay overs on these older houses. I might as well go through the pain of building, but I'll have exactly what I want. And we're starting to see a change in attitude towards that, although there's a lot of fear. And whatever we can do as an industry, as industry colleagues, you and me and everyone else that's in the industry, is we can only encourage people to build more houses. That's Mm. the only solution to this problem, Mm. is building more houses. And everything else outside of it that shows negativity towards building houses is actually causing exponential issues for more housing to come on the market, which is going to cause more social issues as well so i think we should be responsible enough to tell people go out there do your due diligence and it's okay to build for me what it's demonstrated is nearly this journey of emotions for buyers in this market where a year ago people were still very defiant about the fact that they were going to and i love your perspective on this that they were going to find value in the established market that they were going to get a deal that they were going to somehow win in that transaction on the buyer side And then that journey has moved from defiance to frustration to anger nearly and then eventually to acceptance. And now, given that acceptance, they're looking at alternatives like, well, I guess I accept the fact that I'm not going to get a deal anymore. Maybe I want to take things into my own hands again and that option is buying land and building your own dream home like you may have thought of doing years ago. Even if there is a perceived risk of that builder falling over, it it seems like the only solution. Have you... Have you recognized that emotional journey? Yes, we have. Uh, And like I said, we ask all our inquiries for land. Why have they decided to build? Because I'm curious. Uh, I'm also curious what's happened as well. And I find that they're all a bit tired. 
They're a bit tired of going to home opens, missing out, predominantly feeling frustrated that they've got to pay another 50 grand for a property they just don't see the value in. And they'll buy it because of necessity, but they're just not seeing the value. So they're saying, if we're going to spend this much money, then we might as well go and build something that we will actually enjoy living in. Mm. And for anyone that thinks building costs are going to drop, I think those days are gone. They're still increasing, actually. Marginally, not materially. You probably wouldn't notice it as a consumer. But the feedback I'm getting from builders is, 1% 1% here, 1% there. They're still going up a little bit. And and why wouldn't they? We have supply issues still. Yeah, no supply of builders. The supply issue of builders itself. There's also material issues still. Not as bad as they were, which is a good thing. But you also have labor issues. At the end of the day, we don't have enough labor to build these houses or skilled labor to do it as well or unskilled labor as well. That is predominantly an issue as well. So... Look, I think take some courage, and that's the message. Go out and build your home. Let's add more supply. We need some more legacy projects out there. There's one I've seen in Mali that's a apartment's been built purely just for rental, mm. which you know you don't see a lot of apartment blocks now, especially all through Perth. But this specifically one's been built as a legacy property for more rental. So it's good to see those come out of the ground. Let's segue into that rental space for a second, more specifically investment. For me, over the last few years, the advice I would give to clients to mates anyone in the industry if they were looking to sell their property was to kick your tenant out give the place a spruce up and stage it because your best buyer your buyer who will pay the most will be an owner occupier i think that stayed true for the most part however what i've seen recently personally but also heard anecdotally is that being a landlord and selling your property as an investment property with the highest rent possible has also opened up a sales channel with the herd from the east coast who are paying significant prices for properties that I'm not sure even owner-occupiers would pay. Have you seen a bit of that? We've seen it. And it's funny you use the word herd because uh, when we came out of our first lockdown, I was running in the office telling everyone, the greener pastures, the grass is greener on this side. Let's see the wildebeest across uh, the savannah mm. from Tanzania to Kenya. You know, it was, that's the That's, that's the exactly picture. what's happened though. Yeah, and it was amazing. I was like, you know, they're coming, the wildebeests are coming. It's exactly what's happened. They see that it's a much safer place because of COVID and they see immense value for money. We, on the other hand, don't see immense value for money. We see status quo. Yeah, we see through the rearview mirror what was isn't today, it's not going to be tomorrow. So, you know, we need to just uh, be aware that there's the rest of Australia that sees immense value in the property in Perth, but locally we don't. And because of that, in the rental market, there's a lot of uh, in uh, Perth investors that are tired, hurt, and broken from years of, uh, of no growth that are ready to come out of the market. And the good news is there's investors over east that are ready to purchase these properties with the tenant in place, which helps us socially as well, and are ready to pay a very good pricing based on yield play. We're seeing a lot of these and we're selling a lot of these as well. Explain the yield play. They look at rental return versus the cost of purchasing the property. And then there's depreciation as well and and tax returns and bits and pieces. They use these modelings in there to make sure that that particular property suits their financial goals. And I use financial goals strategically to answer this question because this is not their first investment. might be their sixth, seventh, eighth uh, we had one that's bought his 23rd investment property and he's bought two in Perth in the last year. So these guys are very sophisticated. They are uh, used to buying interstate, are savvy buyers. They're using buyers agencies that uh, potentially are doing 30, 40, 50 transactions a month. There's a lot of push to buy in Perth at the moment and Adelaide as well. 
Have you noticed that the buyer's agents from the East Coast have stopped being the buyer's agent we're used to that are really negotiating hard and inspecting the properties? Because they're not. They're not even over here. They're essentially sourcing agents. I would call them sourcing agents more than a buyer's agent because really all they're doing is giving access to these East Coast people to a property in Perth. And I'm not seeing them find significant value. And that's again, that's coming from my Perth perspective, right? When I look at that, I say, geez, they're paying more than anyone else would here. Maybe the perspective is that they're, they're finding value, even though they're paying more than we ever would. But more specifically, they are chasing, as you said, rental yield. If, as long as that rental yield stacks up, they don't care if you're in Balga or Westminster or Lockridge or Coolbelup, all these or Rockingham or Gosnell, suburbs that we would see as lower socioeconomic. If you're at 7 or 8%, They'll pay whatever they have to for it. They will. And look, I think last year, their main focus was buying green title, four-bedroom homes, yeah? And then it moved later in uh, around Christmas time. I noticed they'd started purchasing three-bedroom green title lots as well. Come into the New Year's, the supply dries up. They started moving into in July, June, July. I, we've had a lot of them saying, oh, we'll look at Strata now because there just isn't enough supply. So less choosy. They're less choosy. So they're also changing tact. They understand that the market's shifting. So they need to still supply their clients with good properties. So, you know, the service Strata, duplex, triplex uh, subdivision lots have been going, uh, you know, off the shelf this year as well compared to last year. And now we're seeing them come in and deep dive into body corporate and saying, okay, let's let's buy some uh, properties with strata fees as well. So it, it's interesting to see that supply issue is really changing, not only the local buyers, but also the over east investors really are looking to get in the market. Let's try and find some solutions for people who are listening today. And I would suggest a lot of them are buyers. If someone was trying to buy a property from you, Rash, can you run us through a playbook to give them the best chance that they're going to be successful on that purchase. Very practical solutions if you can. Yeah, sure. I think firstly, they need to be well prepared. Need to be mentally prepared to go and pay the best price possible based on their budget, not what they see in the property, if they want to secure the property. At times, uh, we'll analyze as buyers going through a property and saying, uh, I think it's worth 450 but my budget's 550 and I'm willing to pay 450 but I haven't bought a property in three months. So the cost of inaction is higher than them actually taking action. So they need to go in there and look at their budget and say, do I really want this property? And if that's the case, then put everything you've got at it. So a proactive, positive attitude from the start. Correct. You can work with stuff, you know, like they can go through the property. If the kitchen isn't the best, then perhaps it's something you look at down the track in two years, you know. So be open-minded to buy something that's not in the best condition because you might actually get buy it at a good price as well and there'll be less competition in the market. Have your finance in place. Demonstrate to the agents out there that you're pre-approved. Uh, give them your broker's details. Text them through. Does Do, that matter to you? If, are, oh, you are you calling a broker? 100%. 100%. If we can't speak to the broker or we see a little bit of a hesitation from there into share details, we know there's where there's smoke, there's fire. And in this market, we don't want to have accepted an offer and the due diligence wasn't done properly. And then we come back on the market. Uh, it's, it's a waste just, of time for you. It's waste a waste time of time. And the seller just has a bad experience and everyone, even the buyer has a bad experience, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, just doing that due diligence. Uh, have they been in uh, a job? How long have they been in there? 
just asking those good quality discovery questions with them, speaking to their broker, just understanding that they're well So they need those answers is what you're telling me. Yeah. Provide those answers, even make the agent's job easy that, look, he's done my assessment. Everything's good. We have a pre-approval. Here it is. Here's the uh, broker's number. Feel free to call him. We've already updated him. Sounds like a job interview. You're making sure that there's no reason why your offer should not be looked at, Mm. you know? What about deposit? Do you care if someone offers 10% versus $10,000? Yeah, deposit's also very good. But it's neither here nor there if you've got a strong finance. I guess the loan-to-value ratios are very important. So if you've got a 60% loan-to-value ratio versus a 95%, then those are factors that may not go in your favor. So I always say put your best foot forward. Because at the end of the day, even the 95% person might be paying the best price and get the loan approved as well. So just don't leave anything in the tank. Are you seeing many cash offers where if you had to put a bet on it, you'd know they're not actually cash? Yeah, we're seeing a few of those. We're seeing do you a go few. with them or do you? Yeah, you we still do them? our due diligence. We're asking, are you paying cash or is a line of credit? A lot of them are saying, look, our finance is not going to be an issue. So we still ask to speak to the broker mm. that they're doing this. And we're seeing a lot of it. So they're taking the risk. It's a perceived risk, as you said. And in those scenarios, we want bigger deposits as well. Okay. Just to make sure that they're not being a little bit frivolous. Just like with the tenant space as well, it's often not the highest bidder who's going to be the best tenant. Often that highest bidder has got a really bad track record and that's why they're the highest bidder. Mm, Correct. Correct. I think in the buying space, you're obviously going to see similar behaviors, which as you said, you have to do your due diligence on for the seller. Yes. The other thing, uh, and this is advice that some might not like, is pay a buyer's agent a fee. There's a lot of good buyer's agents in town that are looking for properties for people. And that industry is growing fast. And also, not every buyer's agent is good. You might need to do some homework. But I would recommend if you are looking for property and you're struggling, then get some help. And if that help is a buyer's agent or engage some friends and family to go out and look at properties. So we're seeing a lot of that. I can't get out to the home open, but the family is going out there, doing the video walkthroughs, helping each other to buy property. Mm -hmm. It's good to see people get together and try to do these things uh, to help each other. Because, you know, they may be at work and then the home open is not at the time that they can get to the home open. So seeing mom and dad come out, best friends come out, and groups of two or three people coming out to help one person to buy. Uh, Just have a good team around you, your broker, a buyer's agent, or a friend or family, or your dad, or someone that has that experience as well, and can be a bit more pragmatic when giving you advice that you, you uh, you can trust them as well. The more resource you have towards buying, the better off you'll be. I want to talk about you for a second. Is your job harder than it was two years ago? Everyone would expect that you're killing the pig right now or most agents are killing the pig because the market's so fervent, right? I think your job's harder. Uh, It's a lot harder. There's a lot more 24-7 text messages, calls. I get calls after 10 o'clock at night as well. The phone buzzes, SMSs, wanting to know this, wanting to know that. People are looking for property. We're agents. We're also human beings. We feel for the situations people are in. We feel for uh, the fact that they they don't have enough money to buy their property. And that's their best offer. Mm. And someone else has grabbed their property. And if I had 10 houses and 10 offers, I would love to engage 
I get, I get you've become. I guess you've become very good at letting people down softly. I think if you communicate well, and then you don't get as many upset buyers, and it's a very uncomfortable conversation, but you have to have it, and you have to give them some sort of uh, encouragement that look, we'll let you know when the next one comes up. Uh, we're doing a lot of stuff internally to keep buyers updated on our upcoming listings or alert them on our new listings. SMSs are going out. We're just trying to get them to get in front of other properties as well. But it means that we have to go and innovate our business to help the buyers when mm. we work for the sellers as well. But it's also not a good thing if buyers are feeling neglected. and they're or alienated. Alienated. They're feeling like, you know, I have buyers come through the properties and saying, oh, that agent was, I reckon, was given a little bit of money from the uh, the person who owned the property. And I'm like, why do you say that? And I said, just because you've lost the property, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's happened there. Mm. Along the line, someone has gone in there and made it really easy for the owner and the agent to go with their offer. Mm. And uh, when these things happen, a lot of people come out and start pointing fingers, you know? Yep. So it is a very uncomfortable thing with buyers at the moment. Sellers as well, a lot of them are buyers that are looking to buy, downsize, uh, upsize, uh, move uh, interstate or move acreage. There's a lot of difficulty in trying to get listings on the well, market. Well, let me segue into that. Uh, is a lot of your job these days simply just to get a listing, becoming a buyer's agent for a seller just to get them to sell in the first place? Yeah, there's a lot of work. So it's I call it reverse engineering everything. You have to think about the end goal for that seller. Where does that seller want to go? And then work backwards. And work backwards all the way to their buyer because you need to figure out who's the best buyer for this property at the best price in order for us to get that person to the next property. So I, I was thinking about a property recently where you assisted me. You know, a property where I was looking to buy some acreage north of Perth. And there was a bit of hesitancy from the owners because they had no confidence, even though they had clearly money, but they had no confidence on their ability to find somewhere to move into in the time frame that the settlement would be, which was a matter of many months. It wasn't until you came in and had to sit down with them and gave them some confidence about the options they've gotten and that you'd be able to look after them to find them that property that they actually then went and signed the offer to sell the property it was the seller who wasn't wasn't ready to sell not because of price or terms but simply because they didn't want to be homeless and you can understand that be comfortable in their house and now they've got to make this change but there's no other solutions out there's no options for them and it means that we have to do a lot more work to get listings on the market and to solve problems so we're problem solvers at the end of the day, we, we have to look at those solutions. And that means picking out the phone, speaking to other agents and saying, look, I've got this potential clients. I'm not after conjunctional, not after. I just want to help them get to where they can get so that I can help them with their and property. And then you've got a listing at the end of the day, don't you, <coughs> finally? You finally get a listing. And a lot of times they'll go and look at properties or you'll go and uh, source properties for them. And uh, they don't like the bathroom. There's not enough light in the living room. So there's a lot of time that can get uh, wasted, but it's not wasted. And ultimately it's invested, at the invested the towards them getting a house that they want. And ultimately then we can uh, add enough value to them to get the listing from them as well you know so there's a lot of moving parts um the other thing that we're finding is sellers are wanting to move from suburb to suburb because they want to get close to family and finding the property becomes difficult so rent back options with the over east investors are another 
uh, cool way of actually getting these things done. Just to give them some breathing space. Breathing space, six months. In that time, they may have an option to settle sooner, which is also very good because if they do find something, they can move out, provided all the terms and conditions are agreed on by all parties. But these are other things that we're looking at to doing as well, and uh, we're very successful doing those. Rash, we're rolling into Christmas very quickly. Usually Christmas, the couple of weeks there, Christmas, New Year's, ends up being a very quiet period in transactions. We normally see that 900 to 1,000 transactions dip down to 200 to 400. I'm not sure we're going to see it drop so far this year. I think a lot of people are looking at that as an opportunity to maybe get in when everyone else is down south or overseas. I guess it will simply be limited by how many real estate agents are hanging around to sign a contract in the first place. What will you be doing? Yeah, I'm pretty bullish on this Christmas period. In fact, we're looking at our rostering as well because I feel like you will have properties that should be launched in December and will sell. And over that break period, there'll be a lot more transactions than we uh, we see. You know, I think earlier, I think last year we had 200 in a week was the lowest number. We should see significant volume come through that time of the year because at the end of the day, whether Christmas or not, you still people still looking for houses and like we've had 1167 transactions last week that's huge and that's a sign of where we're at at the moment i think this christmas is going to be different so you know for my team we're looking at a rostering system where we know someone's working on a particular day or we'll be able to help uh, inquiries and and uh, at least show people through properties my advice to everyone listening would be look at history over the last 3 years every time we get to late January, early February, the market seems to have punched up 5 to 10% in the space of a few weeks. Things that were selling for 500, by the end of February, we're selling for 550. If you have been in this market for a period of time, you are getting desperate, you know you were a buyer, you know you were an investor, you've made that personal decision yourself, my advice would be, don't wait till February. Don't wait for everyone else to make a New Year's resolution. Get on your bike now, actively speak to the real estate agents you know will be selling the properties in the area you want to buy in make relationships be prepared come like a job interview and work proactively positively towards the price it's going to take for you to move into the next chapter of your life i can't explain it any more directly or simply to everyone listening today this is the reality of this market and as i said before i see significant significant price growth in the next 12 months given the relationship we're currently seeing right now. So don't, again, be one of those people in the non-buyer's remorse bucket I've been talking about for the last four years. Trent, obviously we've had interest rates go up as well on Tuesday. And for the first time, I have seen less press about that interest rates going up and the more activity from buyers has actually increased. Mm. Uh, it's also very, you know, the, at the end of the day, interest rates can go up but people still need houses. Mate, the first thing that came out of CoreLogic out of Rewa uh, through the news overnight was, yes, interest rates went up, but it's not going to stop price growth. I haven't seen that before. I haven't seen that be the headline in the last 13 interest rate rises before, have you? No, never seen it. And it's uh, an acceptance. That's where we're at in this market. We're now at an acceptance phase in Western Australia. Rash Danjal, one of Perth's most prolific sales agents in terms of volume these days. Thank you very much for coming in. Good luck to your team. Have a good Christmas period. And uh, I'll be speaking to you probably every day anyway about the market. Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks, Trent. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. 
Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!